Clara Chat. It's episode 35, and I'm hosting it this time because Sean and Eric aren't around. And so we've got we've got TJ, Justin, and Jessica here to help Matt learn more about security. And I might have a few points while I'm at it. But we're going to talk about Laravel security, just general practices, what 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 you know works best for you, what what is proven to not work for you, you know, all the ins and outs of developing applications in the modern world and trying to keep them as secure as possible. So I think we can start with some basic points about what do we do outside of what Laravel does for us? There's there's something outside of that? <laughs> no, yes. I, uh, yeah. Uh, for the most part, um, I don't know, just big, being conscious of what you do. Um, you know, I, I think the when using any framework, not just Laravel, like the best thing you can do for yourself to keep your application as like secure as possible is know the framework, you know, inside and out. The better you know the framework, the better you know how like the source of the framework functions and how everything interacts together, that will allow you to like really know what you're doing, find, you know, to be able to like lock down your application more. Like the more I've gotten into the guts of Laravel, the, the deeper understanding I have, my apps, at least I feel that they're like more secure because I understand how everything interacts behind the scenes. What about, uh, what about you guys? <laughs> Go for it, Jessica. Uh, you know, I, I have uh, only been using Laravel for a couple months, so I definitely don't know it that well. <laughs> you know, refer back to the documentation and stuff. Um, I've noticed there's some some tools I've seen lately, like um, your third-party dependencies. Um, and the one that I'm thinking of, I can't remember the name, but I know yet. But I saw that recently, GitHub will notify you if like you're using something that has a known security. Um, that's a pretty have you guys seen that? Yeah, I actually use uh Sensio Labs actually puts out the dependency checker for PHP, and that is mm -hmm. part of my CI system. So anytime you push to a branch or open a PR or tag a release, like anything you do, it'll run through, it'll run the command that checks it all against Sensio Labs. Like they have like a centralized database of all that stuff. It's, I, I think that's a great tool. Is that the same thing that GitHub? Uh, I don't know what GitHub's using behind the scenes at, at all. Um, I know they just recently, I mean, either they recently released it or I recently noticed um, that they'll do at least, uh, um, you know, they'll do like key analysis to make sure you're not like leaking keys. Um, I, I don't, I actually, I don't know anything about if the, the dependency checking they're doing that that's pretty sweet. I'll have to look a little more into that. Yeah. I haven't heard about the dependency, uh, examining part now, but here's another question for you guys. Like, do you think that actually just looking at dependencies themselves is, is a sufficient means of, of checking security? I mean, just because a dependency has a bug at some stage, that's a security issue. It, do you feel like that's actually taking enough 
steps to to protect things? I mean, I think taking, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I totally agree. It's it's maybe not. Um, but what else are you going to do? Like, I, are you going to go around and look at all of your dependencies and read every line of code and make sure it lines up to like what you think is going to be the best and most secure thing? I, I don't have time for that. That's why I'm using a package. I, I mean, well, I think you're saying, I mean, cause you also have to be aware of what's problems might be in the code that you yourself wrote the dependencies. Yeah, I'm just playing devil's advocate, so. <laughs> What's your recourse, even if there is a bug or something with the package? Um, is there really any remediation that you have at that point? Yeah, right, I, mean, I, yeah think either, I, I think you either wait for a patch or you go patch it yourself. So you think it's on the contribution level then to, to get that fixed? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know how else that's going to get fixed if you're using like an open source package. Like somebody's got to contribute it. It's got to come from somewhere. So now I've seen or I've experienced it where um, sometimes even within packages, you, you literally have to like override the package component to kind of take care of it yourself in order to prevent or to handle the security repairs just because of the fact it becomes harder uh, when you have a lot of dependencies and then those dependencies have security flaws because you can't always trust a, an open source maintainer to update their packages in a reasonable time frame. Have you guys experienced anything like that? Uh, not necessarily on the, the security front, but even um, not necessarily them updating it. But if you're contributing yourself to, to solving the problem, it doesn't always mean that they're going to be there to you know, accept your pull request or, or anything like that, uh, like that as well. Um, so it kind of feels like you're going to end up in this endless loop of forking all of these repositories and maintaining your own version sometimes. Yeah, I think you're either, yeah, in those situations, you're either going to have to like, you know, fork it or, you know, write your own implementation and, you know, spin up, um, you know, your own version of, you know, uh, an open source library for internal use. I think, I think that's sometimes just the case that has to happen. So I actually had a thought on the... Oh, go ahead, go ahead, Matt. Oh, go ahead, Justin. I was going to slightly make a tangent on the conversation, so if you have a point on that, go ahead. <laughs> I don't. Go right ahead. Uh, kind of going back to the original point of knowing the framework, I think another thing that kind of piggybacks off that well is um, knowing the framework. SQL injections are obviously a really big thing, and Laravel protects you almost completely from that, but um, whenever you're architecting your application and kind of building your model entities, if you're not setting up the relationships in a way that works well with Laravel, you're going to end up having to, you're going to be required to do a lot of uh, your own custom raw SQL in order to do that. So you're kind of uh, inherently building in potential security flaws that uh, maybe could have just been solved by architecting maybe a little bit longer. I totally agree. I think, yeah, knowing, knowing your framework and knowing how to use it and yeah, I think you will figure out where situations like that become a little more risky for sure. Do, do you guys feel like even when it comes to testing of stuff, I, I know this is something I don't necessarily practice as much as I probably should, but um, do you guys actually build tests to simulate attacks where even when you are using a raw or like a DB raw or something to that effect that you're actually doing a, a confirmation that you're, you're protecting that data or that incoming input. I haven't done anything to that effect really. 
I don't, but now I kind of feel like I should. <laughs> I, uh, you know, where I work, the a lot of our applications have to deal, like, we all fall, like, my entire company falls under, like, PCI compliance, and a lot of our applications do as well. So a lot of our applications and all of our infrastructure, like, everything has to go through, like, pen tests and security audits. So I, I feel like that covers a lot of those fronts. Um, I would definitely like to find like an eloquent way or if someone, you know, had a, like a framework specific package that's like, all right, like here, like drop this into Laravel and it'll, you know, do a few configurations and like go through it. I think with Dusk, you could probably set up something pretty sweet to, you know, specifically go through your site, find inputs or places you think would be a security flaw and like give you validation against that, that that's not a problem. So do you know what they're doing when they do the uh, security testing? Like what kind of tests and tools they're using? From a systems level, yes. Um, from an application point, no. Um, and I, to a certain extent, um, I don't want to know. Because then I'll be like, like purposely, defensively, you know, building around that when I'd rather not know what they're going to be trying to do and, you know, keeping my eye on making everything secure for anything I think is happening. Have any of you guys uh, heard of OWASP or know what they do? Not. F- I don't know what they do. Yeah, they, uh, I, I don't know if they offer like any services or anything but we regularly at work review their like top 10 security risks and um and they they always publish like here's top risks that are coming out like here's top things that are like trending that you need to fend against um we regularly regularly review those at work um i did some zend security training two years ago and I think they may have. They, I think they talked about a couple automated tools, but I don't remember any of them. Yeah, I've I've played with a few of their their things before. Um, actually, I I ended up joining them just because I noticed that they had a few documentations for some packages that were out of date, and I'm like, hey, can, can I just update this? And they're like, yeah, here, become a member. And then I I asked them, am I like responsible for knowing all the security aspects? Because <laughs> I don't know how comfortable I feel with assuring people of this and they're like no 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 it's okay but um i i've actually to be honest with you i i find it to be a very good source of data on on virtually every language that that i've tinkered with uh and 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 then i've played around with that zed is it zed or yeah the like zend who uh no oh sorry zend yeah they offer like yeah, they did uh, some like a security training class, and it was it was review for the most part for me. But I think it was like really good information. So like if I had someone like newer, like a mid or like junior level, like someone who's like a little more green, come in, like that's definitely something I'd want to put them through, like for sure. And then we like we have quarterly roundtable discussions across our whole IT department about the like OWASP ten. Like at least every quarter. Um, so, uh, have any of you guys? I guess I'm answering my own question. But I'm assuming you guys haven't looked into uh, Zap. 
which is the, that's the main thing that OWASP actually uh, has as an open source product, which allows you to actually run penetration tests against your applications. I haven't, but I'm going to. <laughs> so one thing I found in what I was playing around with on it is you could actually run it from, a, from the command line. So you could hypothetically uh, attack like a test set of your application. Um, only problem with things like that, like these you know, automated penetration test tools is they look for really textbook stuff. And so the feedback you get is usually stuff like, oh, you get a warning because you're not using you know, HTTP uh, only uh, cookies or, or what have you, which in a lot of cases you can't do because of having to use JavaScript in your application, it kind of prevent or you know causes some kerfuffles there, I guess. But uh, do you do you get a lot of that, TJ, with uh, stuff you work on? Um, no, I mean we're we're pretty good about dotting our i's and crossing our t's. Like we uh, we regularly like audit and look at our stuff, and um, you know I. I kind of recalled and, and, and backtrack a little bit here. We were using a product by SolarWinds um, for application pen testing. Um, we have been moving on to more like, rather than us doing it, we've been having, you know, third party companies do it for us because it's just like a whole knowing this stuff and knowing how to audit it is like a job in its own. So I'd rather have someone who's a little more qualified than me and not necessarily just like some tool throwing up, oh, you should enable HTTPS only cookies. Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> they are. Are they any of the, uh, the pen testing tools that you guys have used? Do they, how do they handle just your basic routes and kind of just what every page and the potential vulnerabilities there? Do you have to provide them definitions of all the, the URLs of your site or is it able to kind of pull a Google, I guess, and index a site on its own? The ones I had, you provided, like, we just generated a, like, here's all, like, here's a bunch of routes to test, and we would just make sure it's, like, something of anything, and we'd spin up, you know, uh, like, seed data of test users and, and kind of give, like, a realistic data, uh, like, spread of data, and then provided a bunch of routes, and it would go through and try to do SQL injection, try to do, you know, some cross-site script stuff. Okay. Yeah, I think that's how most of them generally work is that, is that you give them like a base point or, or a selection of base points and a few bits of criteria on them. Um, have, have any of you guys ever done a, a sort of testing once you're past the point of authentication? Um, so as if somebody actually got into the application, what's the sort of damage they can do and any sort of damage control within that? I think maybe the interesting question there is, has anybody actually run into situations where Laravel fell short on security, right? If you're following the Laravel paradigm, does it meet all of those needs? I've never had any issues. And okay. to Matt's point, Matt's question, yeah, I'll, I definitely like let it get past the auth into like, let's say it's, um, uh, you know, like some crud admin backend. Yeah, I'll let it auth in and, and get through and like actually test the forms in there because that's a real problem. Like that, you know, if like if uh, you know someone's logged into an admin and some you know Chrome plugin they have is like going around doing stuff, like that's an area you got to watch out for too. It's not just like testing against if they can get in; it's testing against be uh, like ab additional abuse once they're in, 
and have, you know, now all the controls to do stuff with accounts. And, you know, if it's like a higher stake situation, well, like that's, that's a problem. Of course. Have you, um, so I guess like what I'm trying to go off on that is, um, it, I guess it's a question of protecting against not just attackers, but it's also looking at essentially uh, uneducated users who might be clicking around and go or expected ways causing breakage and stuff like that. Do you guys feel like that's a, con a security concern or is that just kind of usability concern? It can be both. Like it can definitely be both. You know, if someone's like clicking around and discovers, uh, man, didn't that like just happen with Bitcoin and like a Bitcoin wallet? Like someone accidentally locked out like a whole bunch of people's, like locked a whole bunch of people's wallets and they lost like $30 million or something that are just gone. I wouldn't be surprised if that happened given <laughs> everything to do with Bitcoin. But I, I like didn't think about that. Yeah, like it was, oh, okay, so someone in chat is correcting me. It was Ethereum, not Bitcoin. But yeah, someone was in a wallet, and I, I don't remember the circumstances, but it, they accidentally locked everyone's wallet on that service. So I think it can totally be a usability concern and or a security concern if it's affecting, you know, somebody else. Uh, what about file system stuff? Have you guys ever encountered issues with uh, file system securities? Things like things just getting broken in there. Any aspects? I haven't with Laravel. That happened to me uh, heaps with WordPress. So I, I after moving over to Laravel, I haven't had any trouble with that. But yeah, like a WordPress site would get infected, and now. All, like half the PHP files are all infected with stuff and user uploads. There's stuff everywhere. How about you, Justin? Uh, no, not really, but I am kind of curious if um, on the file front, uh, exposing like um, protected files for the system um, that you really only want your users to be able to see kind of what are the patterns that people use typically to kind of protect it so that anybody, even though it probably has to be a public uh, file so the the browser can actually uh, or the server can serve it up. Um, what kind of patterns are you using to to solve that to maybe obfuscate it or, or things of that nature? Uh, are you talking like more of like um, like a file name front? If we're like hashing someone's like files against their username or something, that like so you don't know like what files go to what account or what they might be. Yeah, right. If you have anything that's maybe personally identifiable that you want to hide, but you still need your server to be able to serve it up, are you just hashing them um, in some complex way? Are you kind of having PHP handle that and serve it up on its own as a, as a blob effectively? Um, you know, those types of things. I think I've used a little bit of all of those approaches. Like, I, I try to, um, like, yeah, anything, I might hint in the name of, like, what, what type of file it is, or, like, uh, like this is for, like, it's a some sort of hash hyphen avatar. Like that way, like I know, like I know what it is. Um, but I try to keep a lot of that like behind the scenes. So in case someone gets you know like file system access or somehow gets the ability to just like list the file system, um, it's not really identifiable outside of like what type of file it is. Um, and then maybe 
have nice names that are like exposed to the individual user. Yeah, I've done a few things, I guess. I don't know if they're the best practices <laughs> at times, but um, I've done it where because every file was considered intellectual property of different organizations, I had it all collected on a uh, non-public S3 and it would actually pull the file out, confirm, and then only allow specific users to download those files. So that, that way it wasn't like you couldn't even potentially crawl anything because it was completely locked off. That's typically my workflow now. Is like really with like high availability, I can't really store it on the same server. I've got, you know, an unknown number of instances of my application running. You know, I for file system stuff, like I have to store it in S3. And yeah, I'm gonna lock that down as much as possible. Have you guys ever had to um, go through like S3 stuff and actually modify uh, the protocols or whatever? Are they, um, I can't remember what the, the policies or whatever they are. Uh, have you ever, ever had to do major updates on those to improve security and stuff like that? Like, or go from public to private and things? I've not ever had to transition between the two. Like it's, for the most part, it's either, uh, like what I'll, I'll typically do is I never really expose it publicly. I let the application, like everything is always private and I let the app expose things publicly. So if I'm like, you know, have a public URL that's like serving an image, it'll go through my application and it'll actually like basically proxy it over to S3 so that I can handle any additional security concerns like through the application side. I'm starting to run out of questions just so everyone's aware. <laughs> Um, I'm wondering, uh, how many times, and this doesn't have to just be Laravel, but how many times have you guys encountered, um, and this even relates to APIs too, cause I, I've, I've seen this before, uh, where people have left debug modes on and how much data is dumped out of those things, even in, in, in production sort of stuff too. I've totally come across it. I've I've been on the other side of that too, where I've accidentally left a debug on, or um, you know, I forgot to remove like uh, a dump die somewhere or something. Like it's happened. I've been on both sides of that for sure. What about you, Jessica? Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> you made that mistake more often than I've seen uh, other people. You know, in API. Unfortunately, um, but uh, you know, and right. Uh, one of the things that I'm always, you know, talking to people about is it'll catch something like a die dump, you know, and that won't get it, you know, be deployed. So why we get very at least that. <laughs> Sorry, Jessica, I missed most of that because I think yeah. it was phasing in and out. And I don't know if any of us were, were like, I mean, sorry. That's okay. It was more of a, huh, am I the only one seeing this? Yeah. That kind of thing happened there. 
Yeah, yeah. I think I just posted there too. Uh, is, is it just me? Like, I don't know. Um, Sorry. Um, I know, I, yeah. I think that I think the gist of what you were okay, trying to get at is you try to like build in controls that that prevent that from getting you know out to production. <laughs> so I guess that brings me to the next point. Do you guys feel like there's enough tools or, or packages out there to help scan for these sort of things or help inspect these sort of things? Or is it kind of just a kind of passive thing? Like, Oh, just assume that Laravel's got the bet, like got the, the gist of it. So if I do this one other thing, maybe that's sufficient or, you know, is it even worth doing in a lot of cases? Like are the attacks that you're going to sustain based on, like, are we searching for the wrong things? I guess is what, what I, I'm curious what you guys think. Uh, potentially, I think some of it is, you know, just things like keeping up with, uh, like the OWASP 10, like, I think that gives you a lot to look for. Um, yeah, it's security, I think is a hard thing, unless you've been bit by it. And I think it becomes a lot more important. I think a lot of developers don't have it's just like not a thing that's in their their mindset as they're developing it. I think a lot of people just kind of are like, oh yeah, you know, like it's good to go. It'll cover it for me. I think it it takes, um, you know, I think it takes you getting bit by it before to have that in the forefront of your mind to constantly be, you know, looking for new things, you know, keeping up to date on security concerns um, and, you know, coding defensively and proactively against attacks. Do uh, you guys think there's a certain level of complexity that's kind of required for a lot of apps in order for uh, a lot of the security concerns to actually be security concerns? Um, I, I think, I don't know exactly how the saying goes, but effectively we're, we're just glorified CRUD builders, right? Um, and, and Laravel does pretty good at doing the CRUD stuff for us. Um, so is there some sort of complexity that's needed that goes kind of beyond the traditional CRUD paradigm that, that's required to have maybe a little bit more worry in these, in these topics? I totally agree. I think if it's if I'm doing like really I think that... Yeah, I think if I'm doing like l lower Sorry. level like no, it's all good. If I'm doing like lower level like crud stuff, I'm definitely not like as concerned because I'm using stuff in the framework that's really straightforward. You know, the easier it is to understand, I think the easier it is to you know, have like you understand where those holes can be. And when things get more complex, I definitely start thinking about security more. And when I've got to do, you know, like something, if I've got to do something weird, then yeah, I'm totally way more security focused than if I'm doing something that's, you know, pretty standard and low level out of a framework. Go for it, Jessica. Okay, I'm going to try this again, because I was actually going to say, doing some of your trying to solve that problem and you're more likely different practices. Did that go through? I'm done. <laughs> I, let me, let me take a kind of a semi guess at what, what I totally heard out of that. Um, are you, are you saying it's, it's are you saying it was, it's, it's better to just follow the same practices 
all around to keep the rhythm in place or, or is it? Man. <laughs> Jessica needs a translator at this point. Um, I've got one. Um, what, what do you guys do or what have you seen done to help keep up or like what tools do you use or what kind of like workflows do you use to like keep up to date with the packages that you're working with or with the framework that you're working with like be it like symphony or cake or laravel like how do you keep up with you know security notices like all right this got a patch for this security like when do you know when to update your dependencies or like what's your workflow look like to keep your dependencies up to date to make sure that, you know, it's, it's one thing for a package to have a security flaw. It's another thing to know the security flaws there or know that they've patched it and it's ready to update. Like, what do you guys do to keep on top of that? I'm not so, really sure about you guys, but I don't, I'm not really aware of any tools that are too good um, it, it really notifying you of that. It kind of feels like um, you just basically have to put it on your calendar and, and just do it. Uh, repeatingly um, and just try and stay up to date the best that you can. Uh, maybe I'm missing some things out there that are available, but um, it's definitely the biggest challenge. I think even just hit the base Laravel front is just keeping up to the latest or closest, as close to the latest as you can um, version of Laravel, let alone all the packages you might be using. Yeah, I can kind of relate to that because uh, it was funny the other day I was, or was it today? Might have even been this morning. Uh, I was reading Taylor's post on on Medium uh, regarding the mental health situation, which was really interesting. But when I scrolled down and I saw another link to another article, it was talking about um, Laravel 5.6 coming in February. And I'm thinking to myself, what, February already? Because I'm, I'm still, you know, grappling. I still deal with 54 in lots of applications and stuff like that. And so, you know, you're still looking back at these sort of applications and, and are concerned about their security issues, if any. And yet that whole, like, so it becomes a conundrum then to pay too much attention to uh, release updates because then unless you're always on the latest possible build, the release updates don't necessarily educate you on the things that you may or may not be missing, right? or the growing concerns about old, like semi-older applications. They're, they're not actually old, but they're, you know, in code world, they're a day old. Um, so I don't, I agree with Justin. I don't think there is, I don't, I've never seen anything that's been a clear cut, like feed of security related concerns regarding packages and, and, and things like that, that that's easy to follow, I guess. And to make matters worse, and there's a lot of projects just just to get it off the ground and, and delivered that they take so long for that part of it that you could be through, you know, two or three uh, release cycles of Laravel itself. Um, what is, what's the are you constantly updating that and potentially having to rework some of your your code in order to get on the latest release or what does that workflow look like? Yeah, for me, like I try to keep as evergreen as possible. Like the, the company I work at right now, we've definitely got apps that are like locked on certain versions because of the way that developers did some of their implementation. It is 
way too hard to rip out what they did to upgrade up you know upgrade the version um you know recently i was working on a rather large uh, api and that was over i was about halfway through it when 5.5 came out and i definitely stopped whatever i was doing when it came out and updated that app and then updated any other app that i could easily um you know and Luckily, a lot of those apps that were locked on older versions are going to be sunsetted soon. So I don't, I'm not too concerned about those because they will be going away. But I'm definitely fostering a focus on keeping as up-to-date as possible, especially with Laravel Shift. I think that makes things much easier to keep up-to-date or at least do a large amount of the grunt work for you. Um, one thing, like as far as tools that I use to kind of keep up-to-date is... Um, you know, following as many like social platforms as possible. I think really good package maintainers, like if you look at uh, like Spotsy, like they're really good at, you know, talking about on their social platforms, like when packages are up to date, where things are going, um, you know, and as far as Laravel goes, like there's um, Till keeps the, you know, the medium page with all of like the release notes going. So I follow that. And I think there's a couple of Twitter accounts that do that as well. Um, one of the cool things that I found um, in, actually in preparation for uh, the broadcast tonight was GitHub. You can take a, um, you take a repository and actually create an Atom feed of the releases and of the tags. So if you wanted to like spin up a like in your RSS reader, um, you know, following any tags or releases of um, you know, any repository you want, it's pretty easy to do. You can just go to like for Laravel, you can go to github.com slash Laravel slash Laravel slash releases dot ATOM. And now you've got an RSS feed of anything that gets released. And I think if you just change releases to tags, you get the same thing of any tags. So that's probably going to be like an easy way. Like I'm going to go around to all of like the core packages that I use and dump them into a feed reader that's got, you know, some notifications behind it. And um, Slack, I know lots of people use Slack. There's a, uh, a reader plugin, like an RSS feed plugin that you can have it, you know, just post to a channel anytime like a feed gets updated. Yeah, I think there's actually some of those in Blur chat channels. I think there's actually like a news one. It comes from Laravel News or something to that effect. Yeah, news about Laravel. Um, that's interesting, though. I, I didn't know they had an Atom feed off of that, which is kind of cool. Um, Has anyone seen that, um, that Laravel package somebody put together for... Um, it provides you some views and stuff in your Laravel application for showing your outdated uh, dependencies based on your composer file? Yeah, I did. I... Uh... I heard about that, and I don't remember a ton about it. Yeah, I'm trying to find it right now. Uh, on a different note, um, while you guys look for that, Jessica had mentioned in her <laughs> moments, uh, <laughs> if you guys think, um, or, or she was saying, if you get really focused on complex code, it might become distracting to try and remember security precautions and things like that. Do you guys feel like uh, it can, that security can kind of just become like a, a thing you just don't worry about easily? Like, is it kind of like the first thing to get dropped when dealing with large complex problems? 
I think probably 90% of the time that's what happens. <laughs> like I I think that's extremely common, um, especially if it's something like really complex or you know something you're just like super hyped about and like really want to like get out like get out to production because it's like really cool or there's um, you know a management push to get something like released to get a feature out or I, I definitely think security falls to the wayside like pretty quickly. Um, I think that's where you know if you've been burned by like by it before it's a little more in the forefront of your mind it's a little easier because that like that wound hurts um and i think you know whole, like having a team of developers like i think it's a lot easier to happen when um you're a solo developer but on a team of developers and having a workflow that you know requires someone review your code before you go in um you know, I think I think that provides an opportunity for you to put that in place. Like, all right, before any PR gets merged into master or before anything gets tagged, like we need to have a security audit. Like it's a checkbox as part of your release process. I think some of this stuff can be controlled by a diligent workflow. Um, but I think a lot of people like that that's easy to go by the wayside because security is hard. It's complex. It takes extra time. Um, so when you just want to ship something, you know, that's going to stall you. Do you guys, have any of you come across, um, a good set of guidelines uh, for doing a security audit within your own applications or within your own code reviews? Cause I mean, if there's one thing to have like a general security audit of an application, but have you ever had a very simple like, you know, here's the 10 things to look for when you're doing your code reviews regarding security. Well, OWASP provides you that that top 10 list, you know, that's, I think that's probably like it, easy pickings. Like here's 10 things. You can pull up the website and be like, here's the top 10 things we need to test for with this feature. Uh, I think doing whole applications is really challenging. I think it's you know, a lot easier doing it feature by feature, PR by PR, you know, dump it into staging. Um, I think it can be um, split between looking at it on a code level and looking at it through a, like a QA process. I think it, you know, if you've got a QA person or you have a QA developer, I think you can build that in. I, I really kind of like the idea of spinning something up with, um, Dusk or Selenium or, you know, something that you can automatically like dump in cross-site scripting or things to try to do a, like a CSRF issue or try to do some sort of SQL injection. I think that'd be pretty cool to see as part of the PR. Like not only is your implementation done, do you have tests for your code? And then do you have the security test to match that? Um, I think that'd be interesting. TJ, do you have the link to the uh, the OWASP ten things or the top ten things to look out for right now, or is it? Are you talking about the top ten cheat sheet thing? Uh, I think if you just Google it, it's like right on their website. Yeah, as I'm typing it in, Google's like here, here it is. Uh, yeah, so they have an OWASP top ten. It's called their like top ten project. Um, and it's got like heaps of stuff and they also break it down by year. Like, oh, here's the OWASP top 10 of 2017. And it's like a whole, like it's, there's actually a PDF on all of it. Um, and it gives you like example attack scenarios. It gives you references. 
off to, um, you know, maybe language specific implementations or more information on that type of attack. Like um, the, the top, like the first one listed for 2017 is injection. So it goes through, it has a section on like, is your app vulnerable? How to prevent it? Example attack scenarios. And then like a dozen links for different references, both on the like OWASP site and other external links. Um, you know, the second one, broken authentication. And it does like a really good job of not only showing you how to prevent it, um, but actually explaining what that type of vulnerability is and breaking it down. Um, you know, we have to do some of this for PCI, but I think it's really good practice for every developer like quarterly to go through and just give a quick refresher. It'll like, if it's your first time, yeah, maybe it'll take a couple days to get through all of this stuff. It can be pretty dense, but the second or third time, like it's just a good refresher and it keeps it in the top of your head. Like we have to do monthly security patching. When we do monthly security patching on our systems, that's about the same time that we review this and we go around and we update any dependencies we can. And, you know, that's part of like, we've patched the system, we've deployed a updated dependency app. I think a lot of it can be like just workflow and, and taking the time to do it. Now, in my experience, enterprise uh, projects, a lot of times will do uh, a variety of attack tests and, and, and examination of, of applications like on each release and, and steps like that to ensure that there's nothing, you know, breakable going out. But in terms of, uh, you know, smaller scale projects and, and things like that, do you feel like a monthly or a quarterly is sufficient in terms of doing a security review or should it, should it follow what enterprise does and do it on each release cycle? Depends what you're doing. Um, personally, I'm shipped off like ship often ship light i i think that makes you know if you're gonna like build everything up for like one big release i think you're asking for trouble it's a lot to audit it's a lot to go through you know if it's like all right i've got this um uh i've got this like small feature we added three views two forms um and a little bit of validation like that's way easier to audit that's way easier to test against um I think that can be a problem when you like let it all build up to like one big release. So yeah, if you're doing like shipping small, shipping often, sure, build it into every release. Like it, it's not going to take a ton of time. It's not a ton of code. It's not a ton of features, um, you know, or you could have, for example, a workflow is like you go through that process anytime it merges into master. And then, um, you know, that way you're like, you're still reviewing it in small chunks as it goes in. So then when you go to tag it to release it, anything that's in master should have already gone through this process. So you, you don't even have to do it at release. Like you've done it all the way through. That's a good point. Uh, have you guys, yeah, no, I'm out of questions. So, I mean, we have 15 minutes left. So that's okay. Um, I got a couple questions if we need them. That would be awesome. Let's do it. Um, uh, we'll have one that's not necessarily really code related, but and then another one that is. So, um, have you guys had to deal with anything about uh, data data being encrypted at rest? You know how you're storing it. Um, any gotchas or considerations when doing that, or best best approaches that type of stuff? Uh, I do have to deal with it. Um, I don't have a ton of tips or gotchas that that I found. Um, 
one of the things that we do um, is we regularly roll our keys. So when we have an application that has um, you know data at rest, as part of that application, we'll ship a like um, uh, like an artisan command that'll let us roll the keys. So we'll basically put in there an array of all the columns and, and tables. We'll have like some sort of configuration behind it that we know all of the encrypted columns and we can like really easily roll the key because it'll just loop through and do all of that. Um, that's a little heavy and could potentially cause problems, especially if like people are interacting with the application while that process is happening. I've seen some other interesting workflows where it's like, for, I mean, passwords aren't really encrypted, but they're hashed. But it's like, all right, like the next time they access it, when you resave it, you encrypt it with the new key. So anytime something's accessed, it's re-encrypted with a different key um, on the fly. But um, no, I, I I don't have a ton to add other than like, you know, use a strong key and roll it at least annually. Uh, is that typically using a, some sort of RSA key or just the, the built-in Laravel app key that it generates to, to do the encryption? I've used both. Um, I typically use just like the, the standard Laravel key um, and kind of just go with that. Um, I've used like, uh, like generated like SSL, like open SSL to do some encrypting on stuff, but I've found that like, what am I gaining? Like I've got, I've either got the key that's with the Laravel app or I've got a file that's the SSL key. I, I don't know. I've never done either of those things. <laughs> uh, so my, my second question in not really code related quite as much, but um, an interesting thing from a business perspective is employee turnover, firings, um, those types of things. Um, Laravel has its own user system built in and that typically means you have you know, passwords there. Um, it seems to not be a common practice to be using some sort of third-party uh, identity provider, um, which is kind of strange to me. Um, if you have like four Laravel apps that are running your business that are highly sensitive, your workflow for someone leaving the organization or being fired under under bad terms, um, that can open you up pretty severely to a risky situation if you fail to go and disable their account on one of those Laravel apps or any app really, it doesn't have to be Laravel, just anything that isn't using a central identity provider to um, to authenticate people. Um, what's what's your experience been on, on that front? Man, yeah, the more apps you have to deal with, it's it can get pretty nasty of like, right now, if someone leaves our company, we've got five or six different places. We've got to go update credentials or lock their accounts. Um, one of the things that I'm looking to implement over the next 12 months is a centralized like auth and profiling service, um, something that can be used like across the board for our public facing applications. So a little less on the internal side and a little more for like people who are consuming our applications. Um, but for the most part, um, all of our new internal stuff all just runs off of Active Directory because that's what we have available to us. So that way it's pretty centralized. And you know, once their Active Directory shut off, they can't really get into anything. How about you, Matt? I have not had to deal with that. But I do think it's interesting that the that Trump's account was, what was it? It was deactivated by somebody who got uh, released by <laughs> Twitter uh, at one point. Yeah, he was uh, 
uh, he he was a contractor. It was on his last day of like, he had a term contract. It was the last day of his contract before he went back to like, I think he was uh, in Europe somewhere. So like he, he, he did it on his last day and then left the country. That that is, I think that is a, both. A, now he all he did was just technically deactivate, which was easily salvageable. But um, have any of you guys ever experienced uh, actual damages from somebody leaving a company or somebody having a bad experience at a company, and you know maybe blocking a trail? Or have you ever picked up a client who has had a developer kind of, you know? remove the history of things and stuff like that to prevent uh, themselves from looking bad. I have not, like I've, uh, I've not seen anything. I've like, I always hear of like the mythical, this could be a thing that could happen. Like make sure you lock everything down. It's, it's the same thing of like, you know, all of us developers could get hit by buses. Like it's, I think it's kind of like, I, I, it's this mythical thing of disgruntled developers leaving and like deleting a database on their way out. Like, I, man, I haven't like known anybody that has like that story that's like directly told that to me, and I haven't experienced it. Like, how about like Justin? Has that have you have you had any experience with that? Um, no, not directly. There was kind of interesting place uh, or an interesting scenario that kind of crept up where where I used to work, and um, uh, I guess the details are kind of um, uh, somebody went into the system and attempted to change some of the things about about their record because they were an employee there. Um, and then they attempted to cover their trails based on that. Um, so while that isn't exactly what we're talking about, it at least is close because if that person had had access post their firing, uh, potentially could have tried to further clean up their trail. Um, so eh, kind of close, I suppose. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty gnarly. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it would be just kind of questioning out loud if, if um, there's not too many organizations that don't have some sort of um, GitHub group or um, Gmail uh, group or an Outlook account or, or uh, like an Azure AD type of thing. Um, why is it not pretty very common to, to be using those? It seems like the smaller applications, the smaller businesses seem to not really use those as their authentication means. Um, because while we probably have um, some concerns for uh, like the devs leaving, I would say that they're less likely to be malicious ones. It's more about building the application that, say, you know, 5,000 employees across your organization um, have access to, and their job requires them to have access to sensitive data or, or anything to that effect. Um, and then one of them getting fired and then still having access to it because you forgot to go and remove their account or disable their account from one of your 17 ancillary systems. Yeah, I think that for the most part, like IT departments are pretty solid. Like I think most IT departments are very cognizant of that and, and, you know, you know, cause I think developers have a little more power at any company than any other employee does. Like it's, there's, there's a lot of risk. Um, so I think IT departments are maybe a little bit of an exception to that, but I know at our company, anytime an employee leaves, we have different checklists per department. That's basically like, here's how you decommission someone out of the company. Like, here's how you like offboard them. You, you know, it's it's a whole checklist of like, did you disable this account? Did you disable this one? Have they been removed from this? Like, I think 
I think that's great. And that kind of like helps prevent, um, you know, it helps prevent like forgetting to do one thing. But I think it's, I think you see it a lot more in smaller organizations than you do. You know, I think like, I think middle size organizations, I mean, I can't quantify what that size actually is, but I think like middle size organizations are like the sweet spot. I think small organizations don't have enough resources to like put behind that. And I think big organizations, there's just too many moving parts. And I think it's easier for things to get lost. I don't know. That was just like a ramble. <laughs> so, so five minutes. I'm out of questions. So, um, I, I do think that was an interesting point slash ramble. Um, I, I do see, I, I, I see a lot of companies kind of just make the assumption that people won't do any wrong. And though I think it makes sense to protect against as many things as you can from a like an effective or from a an effective standpoint th there is a point at which you just can't possibly protect against everything and i think unfortunately most businesses wish to have the perfect prevent all fail points right um at least that's the vibe i get from a lot of companies no i think if someone wants to do something they're going to figure out a way to do it like i think if someone wants to do damage they could do it and then leave. Like, I mean, like do it and then quit rather than, you know, get, get fired. I think there's, I think there's a little bit of a difference between the two, but I, I agree. Like I like, I like to assume the best of people and I think a lot of other people do. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's tough, but I, and I don't, I think a lot of places could do more to prevent this issue, but you're definitely like, nothing's going to be foolproof. Like there's no way. Until the robots take over. <laughs> right. Well, they'll track everything. And so, I mean, we've already built them a uh, uh, blockchain. So we already know that they'll track every intricate detail that we do and they'll know what we've done. Yeah, this is like that, this that. is getting like creepy and like Orwellian <laughs> and like a little like dystopian. Like I don't know, man. No, I think I, I think to kind of like sum things up, I think security is really hard. I think it's really hard to get it right. I think it's, I mean, people make their whole careers out of you know gearing towards advocating for security or implementing security or I I, I think it's a really hard thing to do. I think all too often it falls to the wayside when I think there should be a little more importance to it. Um, I don't know. Like I, it's, it's always been a tough battle for me. Sometimes, you know, like it'll be like, this is going to be what's best for the user, but I can't do it that way because that's, that's not the most secure. Um, so I think it's like a, a constant ongoing battle. Last point or last question. Do you think it's better to have a third party team that focuses on security come in and do audits and review security practices? Or do you think it's better for teams to um, essentially up their entire security game in general internally? Ooh, Justin, let's get your opinion first. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I would necessarily say the third party um, is required, but I, I would maybe think that a dedicated security person might be ideal because I think one of the hardest things about being a dev is the technology is just moving so fast underneath you that 
it's uh, it's intimidating sometimes just to try and keep up with the the latest standards in PHP and the latest standards in and I mean standards just in solving problems or providing a product that the user wants to use or Vue.js or whatever the next framework is. It's just always constantly moving. And then to have to keep up with security as well, um, it, sometimes it can be a little daunting. And having somebody that's just be able to, to be able to focus on that um, is a primary purpose of, of their role, I think maybe would be an ideal situation to me. Um, where you know they might still be a dev, but they're focused on security, and then we'd be upping our security game a little bit to to not make their lives a nightmare. But um, it wouldn't be the primary focus of, of the application builders per se. I think a dedicated security advocate can go a long way. Um, but I think, I mean, of course, I think the best way would be to have both. You know, have someone on your team who knows the application. Um, and be like advocating for security, but I think there's also a certain level of, um, you know, not knowing the application or the implementation details and be auditing for security. Um, I think that can be like a really strong thing too. Um, you know, if if someone on your team is doing the auditing, like they know how things work, they know what the expectations are, they know like, I think there's there's bias when when trying to security test your own stuff. Um, you know, it's like if I implemented a feature in a UI, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna take the right workflow. I know what buttons to click, I know what inputs to fill in. Like having someone, you know, who doesn't know anything about it clicking around, they could totally click some weird random combination of things and now they can see somebody else's account. Like it how how many times does that happen where it's like, oh, it works on my machine? It's not your machine necessarily, it's you doing the clicking. <laughs> exactly. Well, I think that's a, a good viewpoint on a variety of security issues. I think there's been a lot of takeaways. I know that I've got a, I'm going to literally re-listen to this and take notes because there was actually some really good points. Um, I know that Jessica wanted to make a few more points, but she's had a variety of connectivity issues. So maybe we'll get her on the next show to uh, provide us a little follow-up on some of this. But I want to say thanks to everyone for coming out and, and doing the show. So thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Hopefully I'll, uh, I'll join you here maybe next week. We'll see. Wicked. Yeah, that'd be great. I had a great time. Thanks. Okay. Bye, everyone. See you. Bye.